Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. So I invite you to listen to what God is saying to us, the church, this morning. Brothers and sisters, we have confidence that we can enter the Holy of Holies by means of Jesus's blood through a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, which is his body. And we have a great high priest over God's house. Therefore, let's draw near with a genuine heart, with the certainty that our faith gives us, since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. This is the living and breathing word of God for us, the living and breathing people of God. Amen. We uh, prepare our hearts uh, for what God has to say to us this morning. Um, why don't we say a word of prayer? God, we're grateful for the gift that it is to come together even on um, days when sometimes it feels like it took all that we had to, to show up. Um, and so I ask God that um, as we have shown up, that you would show up and that you would um, challenge us, that you would love us into greater being and that you would reveal to us through your word this morning what it is that you have to say. We pray this with trust and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, last week I had the opportunity to visit family and friends in the Seattle area. And one of the main reasons um, for this trip was to attend my 20-year uh, high school reunion. I'm that old, yeah. Um, now I'll admit, uh, I had some underlying anxiety about the whole thing, even though I was on the planning committee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those people in high school, right? Um, so, but I think, you know, many of us probably would. Comparisons and changes and all the kind of weird stuff that gets attached to our experiences in high school. Would people be judgy, pretentious? I wasn't sure what to expect. And as it turned out, uh, people weren't judgy at all, as far as I could tell. And they were friendly, actually. They were genuinely interested in where you were, what you'd been up to, how life had shaken out so far for you. There was some reminiscing, and I was surprised at some of the positive memories that people shared about me. Nothing extraordinary, but it was a good reminder that I, my own memory of myself tends to be harsher than I think what other people's memories of me are. So I was grateful for the time. And then later in the week, I connected with some good friends from, with, from college in Seattle, friends that I had lived in an intentional Christian community with, friends who had shown me what community really offered and also what it demanded. Friends also with whom I've had complicated feelings about. They were often gracious and loving and kind, but when we lived together, uh, I identified with a much more conservative theology. 
And they were also people who came from backgrounds that were much less complicated than my own. Their home lives were, if not definitely stable, um, at the very least they were, uh, or if, if not lo loving, were at least definitely stable. They had grown up going to church. They came from monocultural households. They were white. They didn't struggle financially. They, they fit very well into the REI catalog landscape of the Pacific Northwest <laughs> and all that it cost. <laughs> it took leaving Seattle and coming to Chicago, going to seminary, to better articulate why I felt like I never quite fit and what it was that left me feeling a little agitated when I was with them. And as I grew in my understanding, I'll be honest, I grew in my resentment. I resented that they didn't know the same kind of odd one out experiences that I had. That they were in fact completely unaware of it. I resented that they seemed untroubled by the theologies that we had been taught, that it worked for them. I resented even to some extent their success, not because I didn't want them to succeed, but because it always just seemed that doors just opened for them. Sure, they were hardworking and intelligent, no doubt about that. It was just that I knew lots of other hardworking and intelligent people who just couldn't seem to catch a break. And while I cared deeply for them, I was also just low-key angry. And so I kept my, feel my friendships up, but kind of from a distance, right? This past week, then, was the first time in several years that I had spent any significant amount of time with them. And I have to say, I'm grateful for it. As we reconnected and shared about our lives and our spirits on a deeper level, I was able to see the ways that they were actually trying to engage the complicated questions of the world. And even though they were able to do so from a kind of relatively comfortable distance, I saw that they were paying attention. They received my thoughts and my reflections and my gentle challenges um, with openness. But it wasn't just me kind of offering things to them, right? I was also being nourished in return. I was able to share about the celebrations and the challenges that I was experiencing, the, the faith questions that I was grappling with. I shared with one, sense, one friend the sense of futility that creeps up and builds up when I get too saturated in conversations and concerns around injustice and, and oppression. I think some of us here feel that. And as I shared about this, they said, yeah, well... The truth is, the things that we do today probably won't make another difference for another 200 years. And at first, obviously, I was, that was not very encouraging for me, <laughs> right? But then I realized, right, like, hey, you know, Susan B. Anthony, the racist, and Sojourner Truth didn't see a thing change for women, but here I am enjoying all the rights and privileges that I do, right? And so even though it still feels a little unsatisfying to imagine that I'm going to have to wait 200 years for change to come, right? Maybe 20, right, please? Um, it did help kind of put things in perspective for me. I was grateful for people who had known me over time, who could kind of hold the breadth of who I was, who could offer insights and angles that I couldn't access on my own, who loved me, even in spite of or maybe along with all the things that maybe they didn't always agree with about me. I realized what a privilege it is to know folks who share my faith in a deeper way, to see the ways that they've grown and for me to grow with them. It was a kind of grace. And it's that kind of grace, that grace that we experience when we grow together. It's this grace that we're talking about this morning. This letter to the Jewish Christian community, that's why it's called Hebrews, um, is all about uh, laying out how this tradition of Jesus, uh, the ministry of Jesus, is, is really not that different from what has been happening all along, but it's a sort of reboot of what God has been always doing 
through the Hebrew people across generations, like kind of Judaism 2.0 in a way, right? So then the author of Hebrews has been laying out this case, if you read through it, how the law that God introduced through Moses was inadequate, that we just couldn't live up to such high standards, that it wasn't realistic to our human selves, that it didn't do within people what it was supposed to do. It didn't make people kinder or more loving. It didn't soften people's hearts for one another. Instead, what it did was just make people sticklers for the rules and judge each other by an unforgiving set of standards. So God sent Jesus to step into the gap between what we should be and who we really were to facilitate a kind of working relationship between God and humanity. This is what the author is saying. But so then, what does that mean for the people uh, then? What does that mean for us, people today, in like a regular way? That's what our passage is about today. We're reminded that through Jesus, we don't have to engage in purification rituals to approach God or to enter into God's presence Instead of your Sunday best, uh, the author says, the most important thing you should put on is a genuine heart, a genuine desire to open yourself to God's leading, to be challenged and taught, a heart that is willing to engage what God is revealing to you. And right along with that, you should carry with you the assurance of what faith in Jesus brings, the trust that none of us, none of us have this direct access to God by our own goodness and our own power and faithfulness, but really that it's by Jesus' faithfulness to step up and step into that gap between who I am and who God calls me to be. So, okay, approach God with a genuine heart, right? How do you do that, right? How do you cultivate a genuine heart? How do we increase faithfulness that Jesus is really there, doing what the author says he's doing, that Jesus is really with us and for us. Well, the author highlights two practices, confession and community, as a way to do this. Confessing hope in Christ helps to remind us that as we live into the lives God created us to live, as we pursue our wholeness and the wholeness of others, that we don't do it by by our power alone. Confessing hope over and over keeps Christ in the forefront of our minds, that even when we fail to achieve that wholeness, even when we fail one another, that our failures don't define us. Your failures don't define you. It's a confession of hope. And so we confess our hope, sometimes because we're faking it until we can make it, (laughs) sometimes because that's all we've got to live on, And sometimes because we just saw it play out and we've got receipts to show for it, right? We confess our hope not because we always believe perfectly, but like the father who was desperate to heal his epileptic son, um, because we want to believe, but sometimes we need some help in our unbelief. Um, That we want to, that that we're kind of going to say, okay, I'm going to believe this even if I don't really believe it. So God, help me believe it. which feels a little circular, but sometimes that's all we've got, right? We also confess our hope as a way to remind ourselves and the world around us that there is a power at work that is greater than any parliament, any president, or any platform or priesthood that exists in the world. That we have access to power, not because we have the right credentials or because we have the right title or because we are able-bodied or cisgendered or straight or any of the other things, but that because God has called us, God has given us access to walk in power, as we sang earlier today. 
that we have access to a power greater than ours and there isn't, ain't no one can keep me down, right? <laughs> so the truth is, though, that, that knowing this and confessing this is all well and good and it keeps it on the forefront of our mind, but holding on to faith that that's really true can be hard, even when we're regularly confessing our hope. And so this is where community comes in. Now, the author instructs the believers, um, consider uh, each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers. Instead, encourage each other. Now, one of the key aspects of the Christian tradition is the practice of meeting together regularly. There was this realization among early Christians that there really needed to be opportunities to gather and reflect on Jesus' teachings, not only in the ways that we do on Sunday mornings in a kind of more formal teaching setting, um, to incur- but also kind of in the in-between times of really practicing our faith in our daily lives between Sunday mornings, to encourage each other when we feel like we can't keep going, to spark love and good deeds in one another, to walk with each other over time, learning together, bearing each other's burdens, celebrating each other's accomplishments, grappling with what it means to be in human relationships with people that you don't always agree with. In fact, sometimes people that you really, really struggle with, but that you continue to meet together, to grow together in faith, in hope, in love. But like I said, let's be honest, Christian community can be really, really tough, right? When you show up, you open your heart, you share your thoughts, and sometimes either out of good intentions or bad intentions even, sometimes you get hurt, right? People have thoughts about what decisions you should make, what is the right or more faithful option, where you should put your energies, and if you don't go the way they think you should, sometimes you get dinged by folks. Now, this past fall, our very own Javon Landry put out an album um, entitled Growth. And as I was thinking about the challenges of growing in community, one of the songs on that album called We Will Be Free came to mind. that you love, the people that love you, compete with me or complete me in ways that I cannot do alone. That's the beauty of us, pieces like puzzles, she says. I think we'd all be free if we let ourselves be. Now, as saved as folk may think that they are, we're all still human, right? And we're still bringing our stuff into relationships. 
And that can be hard, right? Church hurt is a phrase because it's a thing, right? But the thing that sets Christians apart is that we stick it out, that we commit to one another, that we allow ourselves to be corrected, that we have the courage to stand up, to raise our hand in the class and disagree, as Javon rapped, that we allow ourselves to be corrected and watch over another in love, in love, in love. Now, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, knew how powerful practicing faith together could be. As people were drawn to his teachings, he began to organize small groups that he called societies. And these folks would gather um, every week for study and for prayer, for sure, but they would also check in with one another, often asking a question that Wesley sort of became famous for, how is it with your soul? Which is sort of like, how are you really? And it was through those groups, through meeting regularly over time, that folks began to feel themselves come alive in spiritually ways, in spiritually powerful ways. And when they stopped meeting in small groups, they experienced the opposite. No doubt at different times, members of the group struggled with each other, right? It's bound to happen. It might even be that, like me with my friends from college, we needed just kind of a bit of space, space to grow a little bit differently so that we could come back together like pieces of a puzzle, marveling at the gift of relationships that, that really kind of stand the test of time. Because it's undeniable that when people come together with genuine hearts, confessing hope together, sparking good deeds and love in one another, encouraging each other, there is something really beautiful that can emerge. Small groups, intentional relationships, gathering in community. These, too, are a means for God's grace to show up. We could all be free if we let ourselves be. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you created us not to go it alone in life, that you have crafted and architected a kind of community where we can watch over one another in love. And so I ask for this community, for this, this gathered community here today, that you would help us to have the courage to keep showing up for one another in real ways, in ways that are um, human and grapple with each other, but also um, beyond human, have that divine quality of commitment, of truth-telling in love, of staying together, of seeking one another's best for one another. Help us to risk that even today in some small way. And help us in that longevity, in that commitment, in that confession of hope and trust and faith in love that we might remind this world that there is something greater than what we have been told is possible. That we might demonstrate your love and commitment to those around us, people who had given up thinking that it was even possible to have access to such things. Help us to grow together and in growing together, help us to experience your grace in ways that we never could have if we hadn't. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.